talk about how you're giving some Miss Frizzle realness over there mm-hmm. with your with big red curly hair. My big, well, partially red. Reddish brown. Could use a little refresher on like five or six inches of it. Well, if you come to Jen's hair salon, aka my basement, <laughs> she can touch it up for you because that bitch loves dyeing hair. Well, I have a box of dye like waiting and ready to go, but it kind of seemed like, I mean, it's not a waste to take care of yourself, but I was mm. also just like, maybe I'll wait until I start seeing people. Because like... No, I totally get that. I mean, I haven't been tweezing my eyebrows mm-hmm. nearly as much, but I've been justifying it as um, I'm hoping I can just kind of like reset their shape and get them back close to looking like at least siblings and not just like <laughs> that one second cousin you see at that family reunion like once every five years and just like, oof, we're related. That's how my eyebrows look when they get out of sync. So I'm just trying to sink my eyebrows. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine also comes out of a, like, I don't know, like, dying your hair costs money. And, like, yeah. so might as well not spend that right now and spend it when it's going to, like, right. have more of an effect. Really serve you. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah. that's what I've been doing with my quarantine is not dyeing my hair. Um, I've been doing the opposite. I have started dyeing my hair, but it's just like the cheap like CVS box dye, which like... I mean, that's what I use. That's all I need, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. like, especially because I've just been doing like this really, really dark blue color that just pretty much looks black until it's in the sun. Mm-hmm. So like you really can't mess up black hair dye. If all your hair is covered, it's fine. Oh, yeah. It's the easiest to get in and the hardest to get out. Fact. I love how it fades, though, because it just, like, kind of makes my hair this dark chocolate. That's another thing, Mm -hmm. is it matches my eyebrows now. My whole face is all about my eyebrows. As I say, you also have just, like, dark hair naturally, so, like, it does... I think when people dye their hair close to their hair color, it can obviously look more natural, and, you know, when you're just... Like, my hair color, the... It's... This is not that far off from my normal color, yeah. It's just like a little... Just accentuate. Yeah, yeah. It's a little warmer than my normal color, I guess. What I'm saying is my hair color looks fabulous on me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Your hair color does look fabulous on you. I can't... I'm getting a haircut tomorrow. I'm so excited because this quarantine mullet is not the tea anymore. I just... My roommate's getting one later this week, too. I can't do it. I am still... That's fair. I'm still... I freak out about... And it's not that, like, I'm afraid of getting sick. It's more, I'm just afraid of, like, what might come and yeah, trying to feel like you're doing, yeah, conscious. I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, because I, I don't know, I, you know, there's still a lot of information and still a lot of stuff we, like, don't know. I, it does kind of feel like everyone's like, oh, back to normal. Everything's normal again. It's like, no, sis. Yeah. We gotta be careful a little bit. Yeah. Because we don't want that second wave. No. It- so I totally get it. Yeah. So I'm still trying to be like very particular and like, um, like I did shoot a video with, you know, two other people mm-hmm. for a contest uh, this past weekend. But even that, like, you know, I was, but it's also easy to like forget in certain situations. And for that, I needed to pick up spaghettios and i went into kroger and i you know i had my mask on and all that stuff still yeah obviously but it was just really weird because it kind of felt like people it did it felt like normal but not normal right i know exactly what you mean because i went to rust belt yesterday to get a father's day present mm-hmm. and again everyone was wearing masks they required to wear masks they were like capping who could go in and like you know mm-hmm. yeah a set number 
And it was just, it was interesting too, because like half the booths, I feel like we're selling homemade masks and just like, it's a very interesting time. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot going on. Yeah. In all directions, we'll say. Yeah. Most of my time is spent, uh, like, like trying to educate myself better, I guess. Yeah. About a lot of things right now. Uh, I'm never an expert, so don't, you know, I'm never an expert by any stretch of the imagination about anything, but trying to have like a, a greater awareness. And some of it's like not important stuff. Some of it's very important stuff that I, I think at this point you could say you're an expert in ghost adventures. Is that the name of the show? <laughs> Actually, I haven't been watching it as much. Okay. I did watch one episode this week, but like we, we slowed down a great deal on that. I totally get that because I've done the same thing with multiple series over break where I'll just go ham. And mm-hmm. then just like, I need a break. I did finish the Bond movies, though. I think I talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a but huge thing. I think I'm an expert on Bond now. I'm trying to figure out what to do with all this information, because I just have, like, an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. that's, like, 105 columns wide, because that's how long the form was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For each Bond movie. I've been going down, like, the documentary kind of um, area, which actually, I watched a documentary for my subject today, which we'll get to in a little bit but yeah i'm like in a documentary because i started with um 13th on netflix i haven't needed to watch that it's been on my list for a minute yeah someone in my gym class i think was talking about it like my zoom gym class Mm -hmm. not going to the gym yeah um Um, i would definitely recommend it like it'll it will tell you some stuff you know and some stuff you don't know but it'll put all the stuff you do know in like a context where it's like impactful i guess where you're like you know if you already know it like it means something but by putting it into the kind of the greater scheme of things it really really talks about uh a a lot of um inequalities Mm -hmm. and how certain systems are in place to keep those inequalities yeah those structures i guess and it was really well done I it was actually in my list for a long time too and i thought it was a series Uh i don't know why i just assumed it was a series and I think that kept me from starting it just because it was like, oh, that's going to take, you know, a second. And that's laziness on my part. That's 100% just being. Netflix doesn't always do the best job because I feel like that happens with a lot of the things that they put out. I'm like, oh, is that a movie? Is that a series? What is that even about? And then I'm just like, I guess I'll just watch Great British Bake Off again. Yeah, exactly. Like something like mindless, I guess. Yeah. It's way but... easier. Yeah. I'm going to challenge myself to watch it before next week because I'm in a documentary mode too. And mm-hmm. I would like the one I want to put out there for people to watch is Circus of Books. Ooh. It's about, do you remember, do you remember Circus of Books? Cause you lived in LA. It was in West Hollywood. Um, I mean that term sounds familiar, but not really. Like I'd be like, no. I'm not surprised. Cause like, I mean, it's a deep, it's a, I feel like it's kind of a West Hollywood deep cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. West Hollywood was not super accessible from like where, like it was a destination. Like, yeah. I would drive through sometimes on my way home from work just because I like to take different routes when I live yeah. in new cities and like get to know the city, even if it takes, yeah. you know, longer. And I always love driving that route home because uh-huh. it's, you know, a lot of like bars and restaurants and stuff. So like unless you're going with yeah. people. Yeah. And this is like it's on, I think, Santa Monica right there. That makes sense. It's basically just like this gay bookstore that's been around for like a minute. And, like, the documentary is fascinating because it kind of just, like, talks about the importance of the bookstore mm-hmm. and the gay community and just West Hollywood in general and how 
in like the 70s it was kind of just like this gay mecca i guess i don't know just like mm-hmm. it was like this is sounding more familiar now that you're described i feel like my roommate in la might have told me about it um it, but like he, knew, basically he so, knew all the gay spots no i'm just kidding <laughs> i mean there's definitely a lot of gay spots mm-hmm. especially in west i mean west hollywood's pretty gay mm-hmm. yeah i think my roommate hung out there sometimes so he would like talk about it every um, time i go that's where i stay I also remember I went to, oh, what club did I go to? It's one of the bigger ones there. Is it the Abbey? Yes. The one that's in the weird old church? Yes. I love the Abbey. Yes. I went there and I was dancing and it was like crazy night. It was like, it was a real weird night because I was hanging out with this guy I kind of dated, but I thought we were friends at this point. I was wrong, yeah. apparently. But he, like I went out with him and his friends because I didn't know anybody when I first got there. And it was a lot of fun. Like we danced and stuff like that. Uh <laughs> You know, just one of those nights. Lots of weird, kooky stories from that night. But I was telling my roommate about it, and he was so... He was like, you went to the Abbey? And he was so excited for me. (laughs) I went alone. I've only been once, but I went alone, and it was fun. And I, like, kind of met some people to at least talk to. I didn't really dance that much, which was kind of sad. But, like, it's a very interesting place. I definitely enjoyed it. We'll go to L.A., and we'll, we'll, we'll go to the Abbey. Hell yeah. I also do happen to know there's... A pizza place nearby because i were that's part of my memory <laughs> is it little caesar's that weird new place it's not it's not that date it's not that date yes i don't know i should i tell that story really quick real quick yeah okay so this one guy on one of our final dates and he's he's really nice so i do feel bad but he was like my music buddy we went to some concerts and stuff together and yeah. one time i was hanging out with him and he lived you know, a little bit like 20 minutes away from where I lived. And he came and picked me up and he was driving me and he's like telling me about we're going to go this pizza place and this. It's really fun. And da, da, da. and then like we start pulling up and he's like, oh, actually, we're going to go buy this other pizza place. And it's really cool because you can go there and they always have pizza that's hot and it's ready for you to buy. And it's only five dollars. And I was like, um, that's just Little Caesars, bitch. Okay. And then we got closer, and it was a Little Caesars. And I was like, you wanted to show me a Little Caesars? And he's like, yeah, it's, like, really cool. Like, you know, it's, it's it's like, cheap, but, like, you know, it's decent, and, like, it's always hot and ready. And I was like... Bitch, I'm from Detroit. You know where I'm from, right? Like, I I grew up near Detroit. You, you know. And he's like, oh, like, you guys have those there? And I was like, not that it's, like, important, but I was like, the, the Illich family, who owns sports in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Also owns Little Caesars. So it's crazy though, because I looked it up and there's like five pizza chains that are national that like all came out of this area. Real? Oh, Domino's. Domino's, Little Caesars, Hungry Howie's, Jets. Is Jets national? It's at least multi state. I think it's like Midwestern. Yeah, it's regional. But at least like not like pizza that people have heard of outside of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. What's the fifth? We're then? a pizza state. I don't know why. We are, but we also have, like, our very own unique pizza. Yeah, the Detroit style. Yeah, and that one's actually hard to find. When I lived in L.A., there's, like, one Detroit-style pizza place or something like that, but the the closest thing I, I could find when I was there was Domino's Deep Dish. Fair. Because uh, they just, and every time I would come back to Michigan to visit, that was, like, the number one. I'd be like, take me to Jets right now, please. Please. Oh, yeah. Jets is, like, goals. Domino's, like... If their selling point is you can text your order, their pizza's trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't had it in a couple of years, but like, it's. I just remember when they had those like commercials, like, 
if I text so-and-so, they'll be like this. And if I text so-and-so, they'll be like this. But if I text pizza emoji to Domino's, I get a fucking pizza. <laughs> and that was, like, the whole commercial. And Honestly, I'm like, though, they used to be worse. Yeah, they've definitely, like, stepped it up, but, like... Mm-hmm. It's okay. So I think it just depends on, like, the Domino's. Like, most pizza places like How the like Domino's that. fall. Uh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie, though. I do wish... I also can, like, really go for, like, a New York slice a lot of the time, though, too. Fair. That's, like, perfect, like, after a night out. Mm-hmm. Detroit's got some good, like, New York-style places, though, too, or, like, thinner oh, yeah. crust-style places, though, too. So we got all the pizza here. Oh, yeah. Deep dish. Uh, <laughs> this deep is not dish. a pizza podcast. <laughs> it's not, but it's damn well close. <laughs> yes. This weekend, got Hungry Howie's um, and also made pizza rolls one night. And then I had, like, pizza, I feel like, some other kind of way. But, like, I was just a pizza hoe this weekend. It happens. Which is probably one of the reasons I feel like shit today. That also happens. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff affects... Uh... The system sometimes. Yeah. Ew, gross. <laughs> yep. Why did I say that? This is not a digestive podcast. No. Why did I do that? Why? Why? That's okay. <laughs> Although I did recently watch The Help just because it was on Netflix. I, not in my like quest to learn anything. Just Right. Just kind of like, it. it's trending. It popped up. I was mm-hmm. definitely tempted to watch it too. I've never seen it in its entirety either. Like I think oh, okay. I've seen like parts of it. So I was just like. Maybe I'll watch this. Or, yeah, but um, speaking of poop. <laughs> Eat my shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a great movie. It's entertaining for sure, yeah. And I mean, it, yeah. it is. I mean, like, it brings up some thoughts and it's interesting. And I mean, I know it got like a lot of like flack and pushback. I think for the time it was good, but it definitely hasn't aged the best. Mm-mm. I you know I'm gonna go back and watch it because that's all I do now is watch movies, mm-hmm. which like I think I think at the end we should talk about what we've been watching and what we recommend of what we've been watching because like a podcast I listen to does that and I love it. It's called Recommendations for This Great Nation. Okay, what they yeah. say at the end. I think I listen to some podcasts who give recommendations for stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just because I have some I want to talk about. Mm, some some of my murder podcasts. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, like I watched three movies on Saturday. Wow. I just all gay tape stuff for that video that I was talking about. You did productive things. I sat my ass on the couch. I mean, yeah, productive's a word. <laughs> I don't know if shooting a, a five minute <laughs> short video. I mean, <laughs> hey, you were making something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I watched Cabaret for the first time. Never seen it. I've never seen Cabaret, actually. We're watching it next time I see okay. you in person. Yeah. Even if we don't have time, I'm going <laughs> to kidnap you. Okay. And we fair. will watch it. Fair. Because uh, it's a great movie. Uh-huh. Liza Minnelli, of course. But yes. um, afterwards, I was like, this really got me in the mood to watch Christopher and His Kind. I don't know why. I don't know. I've never heard of that. So that one's a deeper cut. So Christopher Isherwood, uh-huh. he's the one who wrote Cabaret, gay author, uh, he also wrote A Single Man, which was t- a film that Tom Ford made in 2009. Anyway, so he like lived Wait. in the early 1900s. What? Tom? Who is Tom Ford? He's a designer who's just kind of ventured into other things. It was a great movie. Okay. He also made one called Nocturnal Animals. Not gay, to my knowledge. Okay. 
But so I'm watching Christopher and his kind. It's called it's about Christopher Isherwood, the author, and he goes to Berlin mm-hmm. and he meets a cabaret singer. Lo and behold, this movie that I saw like five years ago called Christopher and His Kind is literally about Christopher Isherwood writing Sally Bowles, which would become Cabaret. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So it was cool. just a fun, yeah, it was a fun combo. It was a fun double feature of yeah. watching Cabaret and then Christopher and His Kind, which was like the author actually writing it and what he went through. And it's definitely, it's not a musical, not mm-hmm. as fun, a lot more historical drama. And I think it's a, I think it's a, I think they're, great to watch together okay so yeah if you got some t- that's what we're gonna do next time we hang out okay movies. yeah no i'm in for that um on the trashier end of that and this yes. is such a bad thing to request to add on to that but i'd also like to watch moulin rouge again which <laughs> fair that i see the connection yeah i mean again totally trashy of me to like make a connection with that but no like so, like all these things are referential, you know? Mm-hmm. But I've been like, that popped in my head like a few months ago, too, because I was like, it's been a long time since I've seen Moulin Rouge. And like, I wouldn't even ever say like, oh, it's a great movie, but it's an entertaining movie. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it's definitely not what, like, I really, it's not my favorites, but I really like it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Same. And I mean, it's been a second. It's since a I've solid seen movie it. musical. Yeah. I want to sing along to it. Which also, oh, movie musical, Across the Universe, which I know Jen brought up. Yes. Needs to be. We need to wait, watch that too. No, Jess. I'm sorry. Jess brought it up. Yes. Needs to be watched. For those of you who've never seen it, it is all Beatles music and then written into a, it is just a movie. It's never been a stage show, but written into a musical and it's beautiful and I love it. <laughs> kind of like Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. <laughs> just like that. Yes. I literally thought to myself before I was like, I was like trying to figure out what movie I'm gonna watch. I'm like, Mamma Mia! I mean, I've already watched it like twice during quarantine. Oh, it's okay though. I mean, we all have that comfort movie, like our go-to comfort, and it changes sometimes too. Sometimes it'll be yeah. one thing, and then it you know evolves or whatever develops into something else, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah, mine has literally been just like a series of documentaries. A lot of them are about cults and murder, and I don't. It's real. Like those are my like. I don't know, because, like, I have been, I've been doing, like, a lot of reading and stuff like that, too. But then, for some reason, I'm like, let's learn about Jim Jones and Jonestown. Fair. I mean, it's fascinating, because I think it's an interesting look at, like, both. I think it's just, like, an interesting psychology study. And so, they just mm-hmm. kind of, like, well, what and, would yeah. drive someone to do that and what would drive people to follow him? So, I think it's interesting in that aspect to see how did this happen yeah like sociology going on with it too which i think actually does uh i mean that always relates to things going on in the world is Mm -hmm. how um the great you know groups i guess also like react to things uh and it's interesting and like i don't know because i've always been like oh i like true crime and you know, not like, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I listen to a lot of true crime and um, can read a lot about it. Because uh, I don't know. It's like a weird. No, I get it. 
I don't know if it's preventative or <laughs> I don't know what it is, but you're not alone in that. True no. crime is very popular. Yeah, and like cults and are kind of the same thing. Oh yeah, uh, part of my brain whatever but then i also realized because we also have so many like references to things a lot of them are actually like from these like large things that have happened because like, like don't I, drink the kool-aid yeah exactly which actually i found out it wasn't kool-aid it was flavor aid no. <laughs> and cyanide uh and i didn't know it was like i didn't know it was as many people as it was i didn't because it was like was it? almost 900 shit mm-hmm that's a lot of people. And there's a very small handful of like um people who live there who survived because this like governor had come in and was taking them on a plane, but then they came with some shotguns and shot everybody, but some of them lived, like leaving on the planes or whatever. And then also two of Jim Jones' kids were away at basketball camp that day. So oh. they both survived, um, which is cool, but like also hard what's this documentary called because i honestly don't know anything about jonestown it was, was it kool-aid well it is or was that someone else no no no. the drink the kool-aid comes from but it's also like that's such a reduction of what actually happened in that yeah. situation too because it's basically like don't drink the kool-aid it's like don't be a sheep right don't be a sheep yeah. and i mean like yes everybody did follow him but they were kind of like stuck in the middle of guyana in the woods mm-hmm. and they were living on this like it was supposed to be like a paradise like compound, but it was basically like a plantation. Like everybody was like working all day except for like and Jim Jones would come on like a big microphone and talk to everybody. And they would have like suicide drills in the middle of the night where he was like, they're basically saying like they're coming for us and they're going to like treat us terrible and this and this and that. So like we have to practice and get ready for if that happens. Holy shit. Yeah. And so that's this governor came in to like interview people because some people's families were like concerned that they were living there. And uh, there was like reporters and, you know, a couple other people, too, on these like two smaller or on one small plane. And then they ended up like some people wanted to leave with them. So that's that's the thing I was like telling you about. Yeah. But yeah, it's like. Such a I didn't know most of it, you know what I mean? Like I knew don't drink the Kool-Aid, but now. That has such a rich history. We have so many like Mm. sayings and things that we just kind of throw out there as like a joke or like whatever. And, you know, they all come from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Like a few years ago, (laughs) I was telling my friend the other night, a few years ago, I got um, kind of obsessed with uh, what is it? A dingo ate my baby. Yeah. Which I don't know if you know that story. I think a dingo actually ate a baby, correct? Kind, well, yes, but it was at first. Um, there's a really good movie. I think it's called "A Cry in the Dark." It stars Meryl Streep. It's from like the late '80s, I think. I heard of her. Yeah, yeah, she's phenomenal. She does a pretty good Australian accent too. So these people were um, camping up near Ayers Rock or Uluru, which is like this Aboriginal. Um, just it's it's this big rock in the middle of the desert that the Aboriginal um, culture really kind of revered, like for mm. having some sort of extra thing um has to do with dream time and all that kind of stuff and so they were camping up there in alice springs which is like the area near there and you know popular place to go camping and Mm. they were basically if i recall it's been a second since i've watched that movie or read or there was a documentary too and i think they were just like around the campfire you know chilling at night and they're they heard like a rustling and then they ended up like going to the tent and there was some sort of rip or scratch or something like that in the tent. And the baby was gone. Aria. Ar- I think it was Aria was her name. 
And uh-huh. um, so, you know, I don't know that she ever actually screams a dingo ate my baby, but and the media kind of came in and started following the story as the media does. And then there's with with that whenever there's like this media circus, there's always going to be pushback from people. So some people believed them and some people didn't. Yeah. And a lot of people thought they were lying for years. It really just like wreaked havoc havoc on their life. Uh, I know it put a, like a lot of stress on their marriage. I think they might have even separated as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a lot going on with that. Years and years later, and I can't remember because it's been a second since I've like actually watched this. They did eventually find evidence in the desert because it was the last clothes that the child had been wearing. She was like one. Yeah. Uh, and it was like her little night whatever thing um and it did actually have like a little bit of blood on it and they had found it like i think in a a dingo's den kind of situation or or something and it did actually have some like again teeth marks or some some something that it's been a minute but yeah clues Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know but people were basically making fun of her and saying that like she was having this large claim but that she had murdered her child and stuff like that. And those situations are tricky because, I mean, sometimes there are par- terrible people who do terrible things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just like weird that we're like looking for that. I don't I don't know. But in that case, I think it really went back and forth for a long time mm-hmm. as to whether or not, you know, what happened and yeah. all this stuff. And it was huge, obviously, like when they found this piece of evidence because then it proved. But also, like, this woman lost her child. Like, that's just. Yeah. And that's just horrible in and of itself, like on its own, mm-hmm. let alone. I don't know. And again, like, this is like now a joke phrase that people throw around. And that's so it's got such history to it that it's like. Yeah. It's weird to think about, I guess. Yeah. I'm not saying people shouldn't say it. I mean, I don't know that they should. I don't think it's I think it's funny, just but <laughs> know where things come from before you casually toss them around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had no idea for a very, very long time. Um, yeah. So that's Jessica's murder corner or, or not murder corner. <laughs> yes. So that's Jessica's. Uh, True crime corner. Sort of, except for there's more. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh... true crime digest with Jessica. <laughs> yeah don't get me started sometimes on some of these subjects <laughs> i apologize Fair. no you're good <laughs> i mean we're learning stuff yeah this is a learning podcast mm-hmm. yeah you're gonna learn things you don't want to mm-hmm. accurate but i mean you're still learning so you're welcome mm-hmm. and we're gonna try to be as accurate as possible yeah we try our best we do try i mean we try <laughs> Yeah, I think anything we say in the show, I don't know. We do research and stuff, but obviously we don't always get it all right. But we never, like, try and present anything misleading or false. No, no. And I'm always open to, like, learning for sure, too. And if we are wrong and you correct us, send us an email. Mm-hmm. We'll send you a candy bar. I'm just... I don't know why I said that. I mean, we could. False promises. Yes. <laughs> So no, I'm frequently wrong though. I will say that in life, yeah, everyone gets their wins. Everyone, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. So what's your story today? I've been dying to. I've been like trying to figure it out this whole time we're talking. Yeah, I told you some very uh, random things about it earlier. So very clickbaity facts. I feel like <laughs> yeah, 
it is definitely like more of a serious topic. It's actually something yeah. that came up when I was listening to a podcast, which I don't know. Have you ever heard of Crime Town? No. It's on Gimlet uh, is the the broadcast. Um, okay. They have a couple seasons. I actually have not listened to season one. I'm a little newer to it. But season two is all about um, Detroit. And it actually came out oh, a fun. while ago. Uh, it does kind of I'm, I'm only a couple episodes into it, but it dives mm-hmm. um, into a lot of race relations in like the 60s and 70s, too. Uh, and some things happening within the city. Again, mm-hmm. super new to it so far. It's good. Uh, my friend Joe. Do you know Joe? Yeah. 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 You're listening, Joe. Thank you. Hi. And he recommended it a while ago. It took me a second to get around to it. Uh, like it's been on my, you know, podcast list or whatever for a while. But I started listening yeah. and it's like episode one or two in the seasons really early on. They started talking about this thing called uh, it was in the Detroit police in the early 70s called Detroit Stress. Have you ever heard of it? No. Oh, it's a roller coaster. Uh just buckle my seatbelt, pull yeah. the lap bar down, and get ready for this ride. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this, it's, I think one of the most upsetting parts of it is that it, a lot of uh, things happening right now, not that they're the same, but there's, this is, we're talking about the early parallels. 70s. Yeah. And this is 50 years ago. And it's really kind of sad that, like, there hasn't been more change within that 50 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can take it as a lesson to, you know, hopefully um, do more, be better yeah. now. Yeah. So first step is knowing about it, educating yourself. So yes, yes. Mm. So most of my information, like I said, Crime Town kind of started me down the path. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not good at listening to podcasts, though, with a pen and paper. So, you know, yeah. I might feather some stuff in from there. But I did go and do some research. And a lot of it came from a movie called Detroit Under Stress, which came out in 2017. Okay. Um, and that was actually it was made so stress was a Detroit Police Department unit that operated from okay. seventy one to seventy four. So like a special division of the the Detroit Police Department. Uh, and this documentary uh, was actually made by one of the officers involved in that sons, which is okay, kind of interesting. Uh, and he actually I think lived in Arizona for a long time, but he knew that his dad had been a part of this and kind of wanted to research it or something i guess i don't know yeah. but and then i also got some information from a newrepublic.com article and it's called the fire last time by mark benelli from april 6 of 2017 okay we're just going to be like tip of the iceberg today um i mean hey it's like you said like mm-hmm. this could always just be a jumping off point for people if they want to learn more than what we present we at least bring mm-hmm. it to them yeah, yeah. I will tell you too. Today is going to be kind of more of like a timeline structured thing because it's it's mm-hmm. more about the things that happen. It's a two and a half year period of under which this actually existed. Uh, mm-hmm. And stress is an acronym for Stop the Robberies, Enjoy Safe Streets. Mm. Okay. Yeah, you can have opinions about that. Yeah, that's. Let's just dive into that for a second because, first of all, I get that you want your acronym to like be an actual word like it's easier to remember or say or whatever right but that's yeah because i'm only imagining the things that an organization with that acronym would do yeah because if i mean if it was really that easy to stop crime as a whole like let's stop the crime and be safe like 
Yeah. That's just not, I don't know. That's like such a band-aid of an answer. And I mean, this whole thing is such a freaking band-aid. And so they wanted to reduce the crime, crime in Detroit. Uh, This again is the early seventies. So we're only a few years out from the, the riots of 1967, um, Mm -hmm. which also, you know, 1967 across the nation, the summer of love, lots of things happening across the nation Mm -hmm. then. And, you know, Detroit did have a higher crime rate at this time. Uh, Mm -hmm. White flight had happened. Um, You know, there's Detroit's got that, this incredible landmass and we don't have it filled. A lot of things happen there. There were some, a lot of housing issues. Um, And then also I believe it was heroin had kind of Mm -hmm. like made its way into the city. And so there was a lot of, um, things happening within that uh, mm-hmm. which you know heroin heroin is a highly addictive drug and yeah. sought after by those who use it and you know by any yeah. means necessary and uh, just a, a lot happens around it yeah uh so stress their whole thing was they would use decoys so decoy officers and they would target generally speaking black men uh, mm-hmm. who were performing anything from a robbery. It generally it had to do with robbers. Uh, mm-hmm. And it led to the death of 24 men, 22 of which Holy were shit. black men in a two and a half year period. Damn. So um, I did watch this documentary, Detroit Under Stress. I would recommend it. It's like $6 to download. You just go to the, the website for it. It doesn't stream anywhere. Yeah. But um, so the, these men... They uh they would dress as little old ladies, grocery clerks, like whatever they thought was like inconspicuous. Uh-huh. Let me tell you, first of all, they needed some help when they were dressing like the ladies because it's the most ridiculous thing. I took a screenshot earlier just because I need to show you how bad this is. It's oh, I can't wait. It's so like they needed some queens because oh yeah. So this is category is butch queen first time in drag and like uncomfortable. Like you can tell that they're especially like actually all of them. I was going to point one out. They all look so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Just like, yeah, there's no words. There's no words, but I needed to show this to you because it just honestly the one in the blonde in the middle. Yeah. He's kind of giving me if the Beatles were blonde right now. I don't know why. Well, it's got that like bowl cut kind of bang. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's wearing a bowl cut. The two on the end are wearing little bus driver wigs. Mm-hmm. Pussycat wigs, as they call them, the biz. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, oops, like no effort like whatsoever into these these looks. <laughs> it's so bad. Right, no. Um. So I don't know that they were always super inconspicuous. Also, it was a force made primarily of white men. Uh, there were some black men also in this the the stress unit, but they were prim- primarily going into areas where you wouldn't see like that many white men. So it was also like, from what people were saying, like kind of like uh, it's like very obvious to see the trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they did all sorts of things, and you know. It was, some of them came up with like i guess better guises than others but everything i don't know and the documentary is actually interviews 
think it's like three or four of the 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 men who were in this unit, which mm-hmm. and it also tells you the updates on them at the end. And listening to them speak, I'm going to try not to say their names too much because I'd rather actually talk about like the victims, a, yeah. you know, a little bit more. But it's it's really hard to not say their names. And it's also it's weird to hear them talk. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it also made me think like a lot about, you know, how can we do better and stuff like that. But so they're they started 1971, early 1971. And April 24th was their first fatal shooting. Yeah. And it was a man, Cortez Morselet. I might say some of the names wrong, but I'm going to do my best. But basically a decoy was out to young people tried to rob them. Uh, they were told to drop their gun because they did have one at that time, and, but they fired twice because, you know, they're freaked out. And then an officer returned the fire and killed one of them. Mm. So unfortunately, though, the murder rate is so high at the time that it gets very little acknowledgement across the board. Yeah. May 9th, uh, 3rd of 1971. This is, I believe, number two. Dallas Collins. He put his hand. I'm sorry. He put his hand on the, on the officer's last left side. One of the officers fired a gun and or he tried to get through an alley, got hit in the right shoulder. And he was this is really upsetting, actually. And I'm sorry. You're good. Uh, in the documentary, the guy who shot him is like talking and he's talking about how the guy was saying like mama, mama. And then oh, he makes God. like some like real like horrible, horrible statement. He's like, you know, as people tend to do or as they do, or something like that, where it's just like... Like, this was commonplace for him. That's not fucking normal. Yeah. Why are you, like, normalizing it? Yeah. And I understand there's obviously, like, a lot of psychological things probably with that man, but it just, yeah, it really sucks. And mm. I'm sorry, a lot of this is, like, a list, because this is the history of this unit, unfortunately. So May 11th, 1971, Herbert Childress... So this man, James Henderson, dressed like a female and came to the door of our apartment building for solicitation purposes. And he mm-hmm. got the uh, decoys into the apartment. And this man, Herbert Childress, and a man were laying on a bed together. And they go into the hallway. And the man who had dressed up outside, Henderson, frisks the officer, not knowing it's an officer. And then the other two come back in. They push the officer on the bed. And the officer gets out his gun. And he said that, again, uh, he heard the last words, which were, oh, n-, which I'm assuming was going to be, oh, no. And he mm-hmm. shot him in the chest. Somewhere around this time, too, the Free Press now announces that crime is on the decline. Mm. So, I mean, yes, when you <laughs> when you start policing people in a fatalistic way, crime will be on the decline, but it doesn't. So is population. Yeah, I was going to say. Like- and it doesn't mean that that's a fix. Like, that's not how no. you... It's not helping anything. That's like saying, oh, I had rats in my house, so I just burned that bitch down. Like, yeah, the rats are gone, but, like, mm-hmm. by what means? Mm-hmm. So is the house. So is yeah. the whole structure. So... Yeah. And, I mean, crime was literally down at this point. Uh, although I think there's a statistic later where, like, the robberies and such were going down. That kind of crime was going down. However, murders were up because... Literally, this force was contributing to them. Just out there murdering people, yeah. Yeah. So May 8th, 1971, Clarence Manning Jr., he um, was attempting to rob an undercover decoy. The officer shot him. The backup officer did, too. He had several backups officers. And um, basically, Clarence had been in a car with some associates, I guess, of his. I don't, I don't know what to call them. Friends, whatever. But they they were looking to rob people. And... Uh, 
Another decoy pulled a pistol out and shot a bullet into Clarence. Um, Another officer also fired into him and Clarence stood up and the decoy officer put a final bullet through him. Um, And then his the guy in the car basically drove away and ended up crashing his car. Now we are going to take a little bit of a sidetrack and we're actually going to talk about Ken Cockrell, which is that is he familiar to you? No. Okay. So he, no, 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 that's okay. I just want to know. This is a name I've, I know I've definitely heard. And I honestly wish I could say I knew more about before. I did not. So Mm. he, uh, in this, this time period was actually an up and coming attorney and civil rights activist. He, Mm. and we're going to talk a little bit more about him later, but he started a case against the officers who had shot Clarence, uh, seven Mm. times was the total on that one. And yeah. And this marks kind of the beginning of the disband of stress. Okay. So we've still got a couple of years to go, but this is kind of like where the, the roots for disbanding it kind of start. And, he, you know, he had been around for a little bit. He had he's represented people at this point in 69. So two years earlier, he had represented a, a several black men accused of shooting a police officer dead and wounding another one at New Bethel Church. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the officers injured in that situation was actually on the stress unit. Uh, And he had actually seen his partner get killed. So I'm sure there was like a lot of psychological damage from that situation, too. In the documentary, though, it's interesting because he talks about being physically and mentally ready to go back to work Mm. to be a part of like the stress unit and stuff. But it's also interesting. I mean, like this is in 2017 and he's tearing up kind of talking about this, which for good reason. Mm. And it just I don't know. We we need to really focus on mental health like a lot more, I think, as a a group. So the men were acquitted. And Cockrell called the judge, quote, a lawless, racist, rogue, bandit, beef, pirate, honky, dog, fool. I mean, not against that. No, I was going to say I couldn't have done it myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I had been there, I would have just been like snapping in the background like, yes, honey, get her. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 1971, he defended one of the other people from that situation and he ended up getting um, $180,000 for Clarence Manning's family. So the, or he ended up, basically he sued the city because Clarence Manning was killed in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So numbers five and six, unfortunately on their list, uh, happened July 5th, 1971. Horace Fenix and Howard Moore, the officer decoy was outside of a transmission shop. Two men asked him for a quarter other officers were hiding in the alley nearby. They did hear gunfire because he was actually being robbed. The two men then ran into the alley and they were shot dead by the officers immediately. So uh, one of them died at the scene. The other one was in critical condition. So this is we're going to go July 5th, 6th, 7th, unfortunately, in this part of the story. So that's July 5th. Oh, shit. July yeah. 6th, Harry Taylor uh, shot dead on the scene as one of the officers was robbed at knife point by him. They gave him five dollars as he was like robbing them and then got out their gun and shot him. So that's the six on seventh. The other man from July 5th died at the hospital. So that's three and three days in a row, which is just, there are no words. Yeah. At one point too, there's also like 300 people on the waiting list to be a part of the stress unit. What? Yeah. Like because it was showing crime rates going down and I, I don't know. I mean, like I, it, my brain doesn't work like that. So like, I don't, I don't know the appeal of that, but I think like in some way people thought they were helping because they wanted help crime. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, everything about this seems like a terrible idea. I was not alive in 1971. I don't know how, it, you know, but yeah, 
it just I don't guns are never the answer to me though either so I mean that's part of yeah me neither I that's such a a permanent solution that I it's not a solution you know it just doesn't no. makes sense um in the documentary too it's very interesting because there's a guy who used to be a teacher and he was barely scraping by which not different today yeah unfortunately we don't fund education no why like that's such an important thing to fund so this guy couldn't make it as a, a teacher which i couldn't either because of money it's hard to do. Yeah, his dad suggested he signed up to work with the police department. He started working in the radio bureau, and then he um, went away to war. He was drafted for a couple of years, and he came back into radio, but then got upgraded to the stress crew. Mm. His second night, which was July 16th, so he's been on this crew for two days, James Smith and two other gentlemen asked for this man, again, the former teacher's wallet. He reached, and he had a knife pulled out on him. So... He's like trying to get his gun out of his back pocket. It's stuck or something like that. Uh, But finally he gets it out and he shoots the men a few times. James Smith is dead at the scene and the other two men are apprehended. So he's like two days in. Just shooting. And already in a situation. Yeah, it just. Yeah. Um, So there's August, September 9th, 1971. And again, we're still in the same year right now. James Henderson, the one who had been soliciting earlier, he was basically targeted again and the Mm -hmm. same officer who had been there the first time fired a shot at him he ran away he tried to hide in a restroom of the building but he had been shot in the heart and had been running just to still try to get away from them and ended up bleeding out yeah bleeding out yeah uh 10 and 11 were september 17th 1971 ricardo buck and craig mitchell they were at john r in belmont by a church and they were just two young men sitting on the steps And this one undercover officer, he would just carry around an empty gas can and pretend he needed gas. And so he tells him he needs gas. They grabbed him and they did have a metal rod. They took his watch, his wallet, and they did hit him with the pole. They pushed him down and they started to run. So he fired three shots in both directions. One went down. He called for assistance because he thought the other had ran. They searched and searched and searched for him. But he found him behind a car. Uh, Also, he had died. Mm. And these were like, I want to say, if I can remember, they were like 15 or something. Like just. Yeah. They were going to take his stuff. It's not. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a turning point at this point, because, again, that's like a lot happening in just one year. And politicians started to get more involved in anti-stress units. So kind of let's get rid of stress like this is not the tactic we want to do. Uh, obviously, the, not obviously, but I mean, like, unfortunately, this was a very polarizing thing, too, because some people did think it was like making the city safer and this and this and that. <sighs> Don't know how. But so Cockrell, going back to him, the uh, lawyer, he was planning an anti-stress rally. He was taking five days to prepare it, but more shootings happened a couple days shy of it. And he, he was calling it the State of Emergency Committee Rally Against Stress. So September 21st, which is two days before this rally, Donald Saunders uh, attempted to rob a decoy officer with a knife, and he was killed. September 23rd, uh, Louis Ilios was, he had a shotgun and he was threatening neighbors, so he turned the gun on him, so he shot him dead. Uh, October 4th, uh, police chief John Nichols gave a speech to Common Council on stress and about all the reduction in crime. And all the precincts are reporting anywhere from 100 to 350 less robberies. They've had uh, 
56 officers and 38 suspects have been wounded. Uh, one officer killed and 13 people killed or suspects, 13 suspects killed. And they think that that is progress. Progress. So um, the 14th happened November 12th. Um, Silas Hudgens. Basically, there's an apartment building. This man fired uh, at officers, um, came into the street, started shooting again. The officers, you know, ducked and then they rushed the building as he was loading a gun and took him, quote unquote, down. And 15th was November 17th. We're still in 1971. Neil Bray. They basically this. Some of these were just so planned. It's so just like sick. Yeah. This one, they went into a bar in a a black neighborhood where you wouldn't have seen two white dudes drinking like it's just not how it was at that point and two of them went in and two of them hit outside and when the two were leaving um a guy approached him so neil bray and i think he had a couple you know friends or something with him he said give me everything you've got i've got a sawed off shotgun and he hit hit the guy in the face and so the guy responded by shooting him twice and then it turns out that it had just been a mop handle yeah um at this point too that was the 602nd homicide in detroit during that year holy shit uh-huh number 16 january 23rd 1972 harold sungleton attempted robbery was killed uh february 25th uh so we're in 1972 now 26 year old everett winfrey uh, was shot and killed after he attempted to uh steal a 50 year old woman's purse and then uh the 18th one was actually march 9th and this is called the rochester massacre and basically there were um deputies playing a card game of some sort and this it, the game was raided and there was a gun battle between uh stress officers and uh some deputies and henry henderson was one of the deputies he was shot six times and killed and there was a trial for this and all these stress officers were found not guilty march 14 1972 there was um a 15-year-old uh, and this name is withheld. It was never published. He tried to hold somebody up at knife point, which isn't great, but they uh, shot him. So his family did sue and Cockrell helped them to sue because mm-hmm. there wasn't any there was no structure other than go out there and get bad guys before they before they do bad things, mm-hmm. which is so. Uh, yeah, just messed up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Especially because it's like, kill them before they do anything. Yes, exactly. I mean, like, some of them have maybe, like, started to, you know, do something. And it, it, I'm crime is not great. But also, a lot of times people commit crimes because they... Deadly force is not the answer. No. Though. And a lot of people committing crimes is because they've kind of been, like, forced Everything into a corner. Everything else has failed them. Yeah. Yeah. So March 26, 1972, there at U- University of Detroit, there was an anti-stress rally. There were some lawsuits to abolish it in the spring of 72, so a little bit after that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still just defended by city officials, though. But there is actually a ceasefire for a while. Okay. So both sides are kind of like toe-to-toe. Uh, the police want stress to stay active. Cockrell and his group want it abolished. Uh, this is kind of the calm before the storm, though. So again, this is March of 72. November 5th of 72, the ceasefire ends. Oh, Anthony Odin is held, uh, holds Charles, or he holds a officer at gunpoint. Um, 
And then he does actually try to pull a or he tries to shoot him, but it misfires and the officer ends up shooting him. A month later, there is a confrontation. So there are these three guys that are going to come up a bit. So this is on December 4th. There is a man. I I forgot to write their first names, but they are Boyd, who is an army vet, Bethune, who's um, part of the Black Panthers, and Brown, who uh, was raised in a less affluent area, knew a lot of people, and was actually, I believe, cousin to, I think it was Boyd. So at this time, so we're just going to kind of remember their names. There mm-hmm. were a lot of political and social leaders who like wanted to address the drug issue. Like I said, uh, in particular, heroin was kind of having uh, a heyday. And um, these three men des- decided that basically there are all these like dope houses, right? And mm-hmm. that was kind of like the center point to a lot of reasons that crime happens. And so they kind of wanted to basically be like Robin Hood Mm -hmm. and they wanted to go in and basically rob the dope houses. So take all the money and then take the product. So there's nothing to make money with. Um, However, they were kind of just keeping the money themselves to support themselves in this effort to keep on doing this. Cause that's where all their, Mm -hmm. like, it was almost like a, they were treating it like a job, I guess. Yeah. So on December 4th, Early in the morning or late at night, however you want to put it, there were um, four officers observing a drug house on Stopel, and they saw the three men there. These the three I talked about, Boyd and mm-hmm. um, Bethune and Brown, and they were in this Cadillac car and the, the officers were in an unmarked car. The men mm-hmm. kind of were like, are those stress agents? Because at this time, people knew stress. Like if yeah. they called stress, like how could you not? Yeah. yeah people would be like, oh, you know, and stuff like that. So the three men decide to leave because they're like, those are some stress officers over there. We're not. Not messing nothing. with that. Yeah. So the officers, though, decided to follow them because they looked suspicious, which. Mm-hmm. Suspicious Black. is not a reason. Yeah. Suspe- suspicious is such a bullshit. Re- it, like you. Ha- you have to have an actual reason to be suspicious of somebody like they have to have done something or there has to be evidence right like that's just such a bullshit thing so they uh they followed them and they opened fire on the back of their car i'm sorry it was a volkswagen they opened fire on the back of their car Mm -hmm. so the three men started to shoot back and four officers were shot and only one of them was able to go back and then there was a massive the three the three men got away and there was a massive effort to find them so basically the police department went on a a manhunt for these three gentlemen Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. december 8th 72 derwood forshee is the 21st victim of the stress Mm -hmm. unit and at this point boyd bethune and brown are maybe hiding in a house and police respond very rapidly because they're looking for them so much they kick the door into this house derwood forshee who lives there and is not one of those three men grabs his shotgun and fired because people are breaking into his house and that's terrifying yeah. and he was killed. Mm. So there's also a mayoral race coming up at this point in time and it's between uh, John Nichols, who is the police chief and, you know, very stress like pro stress and Coleman Young. So it's kind of like this like civil rights versus like law and order. Mm hmm thing going on december 28th oh i don't want to say officer names two officers receive a tip that someone was putting the three men up that they were looking for 
And so they had a stakeout plan. Two cars were sent to watch this house. Two people mm-hmm. ran into the house. And then a car actually uh, came out of the house. Two of the three men. And then two of the three men were seen walking down the street because they were actually at this house. The mm-hmm. men pulled up and they grabbed Hayward and put a gun to his head. Uh, they yelled to the other officer. Another officer was then shot. Basically, two officers went down in this situation. One of the officer lost his eyes and was partially paralyzed. And then the other men uh, were able to flee away from the scene. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine how happy the cops were at this point with this situation. Yeah. Not an angry bone in their body. No, tons of angry bones in their body. Uh, they yeah. were just like out for them at this point. They would kick in doors. They would beat people up in their homes. Uh, one of the officers in the documentary says it was a little overkill. What the fuck? Yeah. Like th- that's more than a little. Yeah. So January 19th, 1973, Hayward Brown, one of the three men is captured on Wayne state by the Wayne state police. Uh, he has the shit bait out of him during his arraignment. He just like looks all sorts of messed up. Um, but he kind of also became like, like that picture was like in the news. You know what I mean? Like that was like yeah. part of what was going on. So like that picture was like a somewhat well-known photo. Uh, Boyd and Bethune, the other two gentlemen from the three head mm-hmm. to Atlanta. They know some people to stay with down there and they decide to continue getting rid of dope houses down there as okay. their words were. So yeah. February 9th of 1973. So we're finally into, you know, the next year here now. Well, that was in January. So we're into 1973. Um, there's an ambush and an officer is shot in the face. Uh, Robert Slaughter, who is the man who shot him is pursued and apprehended, but he dies from his injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, February 23rd in Atlanta, John Boyd, one of the two men, is in a shootout with a um, police officer down there. And basically, uh, the police officer shoots Boyd with the pistol. And four days later, Bethune is trapped by Atlanta police. Basically kind of cornered. The weird thing is here, well, it said trapped because he died on the scene. But Mm -hmm. some people will say that he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that don't believe that's necessarily the truth. Yeah. At this point, um, the Black Panthers actually up the stakes and put a hit out on two of the officers, two of the, the stress officers who have just been very highly active, I guess we'll say, in this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in early March, so March 9th, actually, of 1973, uh, Robert Hoyt, who's a 25 year old, who's a 25 year old black man who in his car he rear ends a random dude okay the random dude though was this officer named raymond peterson it's the only time i'm gonna say his name i hope and on the westbound frisher freeway and mm. hoyt he had been working a late shift at auto at an auto factory he fell asleep on his way home driving while tired one of the most dangerous things ever it happens yeah. though i mean it happens it, sh- it shouldn't happen don't do it please don't do it um you know, it happens. The officer interpreted though as being deliberate because he's all kind of crazy right now because he knows there's like this hit out for him. And his partner was actually driving behind him because they had like, I don't know, gone to grab a drink or a bite or something like that after work. And Mm -hmm. so they're in like personal cars. They're not in, well, I guess undercover. They're in undercover cop cars, but because they're also, you know, decoy officers or whatever. Yeah. His partner, obviously, you know, took his side or whatever, I guess. 
and mm-hmm. also thought that him getting hit was deliberate. So he shouted at the the man driving the car, Hoyt, to pull over and fired a shot that struck Hoyt in the wrist. In a moment of panic, Hoyt exited the Fisher Freeway because this is on the freeway. Both officers remained in pursuit. So they, after the exit ramp, Hoyt stopped his car. Peterson got out of his car. He thought he saw Hoyt reach for a gun. So Peterson shot Hoyt. Hoyt was unarmed. They checked the car. There was literally no, there wasn't a knife. There wasn't a gun. There was no weapon in it. Like Mm -hmm. just nothing. So Peterson grabbed a six inch knife, put a slash into his coat, wiped the handle clean of prints and dropped it on the ground next to the vehicle where this man um, laid because he had been shot. Uh, He was shot in the stomach. He was dead on arrival when he got to the hospital. Here's the thing. This man totally admits to this in in this documentary from 2017. He said he totally admits to planting this knife. Does he have any, was there any remorse or is he just kind of like, I did this thing, got away with it? Kind of like, it's not like he's like, ooh, ha ha, I got away with it. Like, you know, maniacal yeah. after maniacal after. It's that I think he thinks it's like, I feel like he felt like it was like justified because he was like terrified for his life because basically the reason he can be is so open with it and we'll get to it in a second. There was a trial and you can't be tried for the same thing twice. Double, Double jeopardy. jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, so Peterson, the, the, the officer, I've said his name so many times, it's gross, but it, for continuity or for yeah. story, it makes sense. Um, in 1971, in the Detroit Free Press, there was an article that described him as, quote, more like a radical college professor or folk singer than what he actually is, a Detroit policeman who has probably been a part of more violence in recent months than any other cop in the country. Yeah, you know, them folk singers gunning down people in the streets. Mm-hmm. And so that's the 10th shooting he had actually been present for in two-year period, which that's a lot. Uh, yeah. He had personally killed six men, all of whom were black men. Uh, mm-hmm. Most were unarmed, and he wounded five other men. At this point, he was 35. Mm-hmm. He'd been in the force for 10 years. There is actually an investigation from this the, the shooting of Hoyt, mm-hmm. and the knife is examined in. The head of the crime lab actually finds a cat hair in it, and as Peterson points out, he had two Siamese cats. Mm-hmm. And he was tried for second degree murder. During his trial, though, he did talk about the contract from the Black Panthers that was out on him and a verdict of not guilty. Mm. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So April 3rd, 1973, there is a trial for another officer in one of the shootings. Mm-hmm. And the officer, his name's Warbeck, he's on the witness stand giving testimony when the defense attorney, Gerald Dent, starts to open up a briefcase and pulls out a gun and fires at him. So the g- bullet goes by him and Warbeck, because I don't, I thought this was kind of weird, but apparently he was still able to have his gun on him. Uh, he was also the other yeah. one that had a hit out on him, too. Uh, he had his gun on him, so he got his gun. He emptied it into Dent um and he walks in the courtroom in the courtroom and he walks up to him and apparently he wanted to shoot him at point blank but he he withheld doing that and the story is basically that gerald k dent had wanted to commit suicide but also take this particular officer out while doing so Mm. so after that happens on june 15th the stress officers are looking for a man who's on the run and they shot the wrong man 
mm. named Richard Griffin and similar clothing, apparently. Yeah, that's really effective. Yeah. Oh, wait, you can change clothing. Ah. Oh, we're not just sitcom characters mm-hmm. in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. The 26th victim is um, on early October of 73, and this is a one month before the mayoral election. Uh, Joan Davis, who robs a fast food restaurant. It might also be Joanne. I'm not sure if it's Joan or Joanne. Uh, mm-hmm. Makes $300 and points a fully loaded revolver at five stress officers who open fire and kill her. Um, January 1st, uh of 74, Coleman Young is elected mayor. He's the first black mayor of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And stress is disbanded because that was Ooh. part of his platform. Yeah. Um, robberies. He earned that building. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, um, but robbery shoots back up to pre-stress levels and actually goes a little bit higher. Again, they've put total stress on the city at this point. So it kind of makes sense, like in a weird way that it would go higher. I don't know. Yeah. Because people are just angry at this point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the weird thing is, so it talks a lot about it too in this, and it makes total sense. Like the psychological thing of this is like, they're trying to scare the bad guys. Yeah. And when has like corporal punishment ever been a good idea or anything effective or anything that works? Like not that this is like the extreme of negative, you know what I mean? Cause this is like, there's no coming back from this. There's no, you can't you can't undo that and it just it sickens me to the core i mm. i just i'm also not a gun person at all so like that's a large part of it 100 sense uh, yeah but these men also like the men on this unit like they truly thought that they were killing people with like impunity <sighs> like they thought they were doing good yeah up. and it's like no 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 you're still killing people and i get like right. that some of these people were maybe mid-crime or something like that but like Mm, no no arrest them and give them a fair trial isn't that part of our country's thing well and that's the biggest thing here nobody was ever you know they couldn't be put on trial for for the crimes that they hadn't even really committed in many of these cases or were like yeah mid committing or whatever um so cochran we're gonna go back to him he started calling them the judge jury and executioner during his like plea to get rid of them yeah so like also, too, just a couple things. I mean, like, you're also putting these men in a situation where they have a split second to make a decision, mm-hmm. an irreversible decision, which is just asinine in its core. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no death penalty in the state, but this is like a worse version of the death penalty because, like we said, there's no trial. There's no fair process. There's no mental health help. There's right. like absolutely freaking nothing. Yeah, no checks and balances. Yeah. So basically, at this time, too, in Michigan, at least, uh, an officer could use lethal lethal force if someone was fleeing the scene of the crime that's no longer the case thank god but that's crazy yeah so 1971 had that uh just to sum it all up the highest number of fatal shootings by police officers after one year it also had um number one police officer deaths this isn't the word positive is weird so i feel weird saying it but i wanted to end on something that is not just focusing on the distraught destruction of it but kind of um i wanted to i'm basically talking about ken cockrell senior mm-hmm. for a little bit so yeah. he helped organize a uh, social and political movement um the league of revolutionary revolutionary black workers and other radical uh groups he was born mm-hmm. november 5th in royal oak township which is not royal oak i think that's the other yeah 
the other one. It's the one next to Ferndale. Yeah. Um, he's He was a son of an employee at the Ford Highland Park plant. His mother was mm-hmm. the first African-American graduate of Lincoln High School in Ferndale. Oh, nice. Yeah. His parents both uh, passed, though, when he was 12 years old. It didn't say how, but that's horrible. And he moved in with uh, some relatives in Detroit. So he attended Northwestern and Central High, but he dropped out at the age of 17 in 1955, and he joined the Air Force and trained as a weapons technician with special security clearances. He was stationed in Germany, was an airman second class, and discharged in 1959. He attended Wayne State and graduated in 64 with his diploma and a degree in political science. He then enrolled in law school and received his degree from Wayne State in 67. While he was there, he met his first wife, Carol, who he had a son with, who would later become uh, mayor of Detroit, Ken Cockrell Jr. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. He took a job at the Detroit News while he was in school, too, and he met Mike Hamlin and John Watson, who were both working to organize black auto workers um, against abuses at the plants. This is the League of Revolutionary Black Workers in 69 that he helped form. In the 60s, he helped form, um, there's a lot of names. He helped form a law firm with a bunch of other people. And they mostly uh-huh. took cases that provided legal representation for individuals and organizations that were involved in struggles against political and economic repression. So again, it's just social activists. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, do, you doing know, the do, doing the right things. Yeah. Over the next decade, um, this law firm received a reputation as Crusaders. In 1973, he was awarded a Distinguished Achievement Medal by the NAACP for his legal work representing cases involved in the social justice movement. And uh, in 1971, though, he, for political and personal differences, he resigned from the league that he had formed with those two gentlemen, with the auto workers, and he formed the Multiracial Labor Defense Coalition, which is one of the most instrumental uh, parts in dismantling stress. 77, he was elected to seat in the Detroit Common Council for an independent socialist platform. He formed a council campaign to form an organization known as Detroit Alliance for Rational Economy, and it helped research and educate on topics like tax abatement and wealthy developers and corporations and public health. Uh, It also served as a mass political force that called for a strong community control um, as the most basic urban institution. So, like, let's try to build the city for the people, essentially. Uh, 78 though I don't know when he got divorced from his first wife but in 78 he married his longtime political ally campaign manager Sheila Murphy they had a daughter her name's Katie and she's actually also made a film featured in the 2019 Detroit Free Press Film Festival called Dare to Struggle Dare to Win this one I couldn't find online anywhere Uh, I didn't read about it until today so I haven't had time to watch it but it sounds interesting Mm -hmm. and it's basically chronicling uh, or chronic (laughs) it basically yeah no chronic (laughs) can't talk yes Basically, it tells about her father's work against police brutality in Detroit and it, his help in abolishing stress. So I want to watch this. Nice. Yeah. Um, he was super. I feel re- that might be a better. I feel that, like, I don't know. I'd be more interested in that than the other one. Mm-hmm. I mean, both are good, probably. But like. Yeah. I mean, Detroit under stress. It was good. It's just it is interesting to watch these officers talking, but also. I don't know. I don't. I don't really love giving them the spotlight. Right. It's it's an interesting. Yeah, I can see your conflict mm-hmm. there. I mean, I understand that you know the guy who made it was the son of an officer, and that's what he had. You know, who he had access to and stuff yeah. like that. And like, also, I guess like his 
viewpoint of things, uh, which it's interesting, actually. I mean, the documentary just gives straight facts. Like, there's a lot of facts going on. Uh, I wouldn't say that it necessarily had a strong stance. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But going back to Ken Cockrell, so everybody basically respected him, even if they disagreed with him. He was just super intelligent, very eloquent. He would also, he was um, passionate and he had this like kind of rapid fire delivery of like information that people Mm -hmm. are just like, yeah, that guy's cool. (laughs) Yeah. In 1981 though, he decided not to run for a seat on the common council again, because he was a little disheartened by the lack of his abilities to improve conditions from his seat. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in 1988, he returned to the practice of law. I think he saw maybe that as having uh, more room for, helping with change yeah and he formulated a plan to run for mayor but unfortunately he died of a heart attack on april 25th 1989 Mm -hmm. and i've heard his name before i'm sure there's plenty more information you know out there about him but i wanted to kind of recognize him within this story because you know, he wasn't single-handedly the one who got rid of it, but he obviously had a very large impact in getting rid of this disaster yeah. of an idea. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, def- defund the police and stuff and, like, a lot of misconceptions about that because it's not, you know, obviously calling for, like, anarchy or anything like that. It's just saying, no. like, we have to look where our money is going and fund fun things that are helpful. <laughs> is essentially yeah. it, like education and things like that and you know maybe funding something like the stress unit even in the 70s was a terrible terrible idea yeah so thanks for that journey with me yeah i mean it is a heavy topic but i think like i'm i think this really highlights just that like this isn't a new problem that's happening now Mm-mm. it's been going on for a long ass time mm-hmm so I think it's an I think it's an important story, heavy as it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can't just sit here and say like history repeats itself or anything like that. We have to. No. I mean, like again, do better, be better, um, educate ourselves and those around us, and even you know those we don't know that well, you know, yeah, uh, about things and and be open to having like real discussions with people. Because mm-hmm. I don't. I, I, people already have opinions and they kind of think how they're going to think, but sometimes once in a while, if you catch somebody and have a real discussion with them, you can, you know, have, Mm -hmm. have real traction, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I am not as eloquent. (laughs) Hey, we all have our gifts. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Eloquence is a difficult one. Yeah. Eloquent. Oh, I just did that. I just fell into a drag race trap. Oh, just now? Yeah, Uh-oh. I think I think it was Michelle. She meant to say she got cut between elegant and eloquent and just said eloquent. Oh. <laughs> so. Fun. Eloquence is hard. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for covering that. I, um, yeah, I mean, but- I'm not going to let, I mean, again, it's a very heavy topic and I am by no means an expert I think this is just part of educating yourself, though. Like, it's n- like I saw, I saw a post on Instagram. And I think it is actually about thirteen. Is it thirteen or is it thirteenth? Thirteenth, because it's about the. Okay. Uh, isn't it about the Thirteenth Amendment? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't remember if it was 13 or It was a post about that, and it was like, it said something. I, it was like, I had to stop watching part of the way through because it got too overwhelmed, but I will go back and finish it because if people had to live this, I can watch it. You know, I can educate myself. So as hard as it is to see and hear shit like this. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why, a, yeah, yeah, no. And that's why, um, watching this documentary was interesting too. Cause I do, it, it really, it talked about every victim, you know what I mean? And not their history or anything like that. Cause then it would be very, very long. And like I said, obviously like a lot of them were in the middle of committing crimes, but I don't know. I guess like I full heartedly believe that the majority of people out there who are committing some sort of crime, uh, a lot of times it is because they've been kind of put into that position. They've been left with no other option. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, we do need to fund things like from the ground up. Like we need to, like I said, education, fund education, fund mental health. Yeah. Everybody. Oh, for sure. Everybody needs something yeah. there you know what i mean like everybody needs some sort of support with mental health and some people need more support um it's like going to the doctor to keep your body healthy you gotta go to you know mental health you gotta do stuff to keep your mind healthy yeah yeah and i mean there's a lot of different venues and ways to do that uh mm-hmm. but we need we need more resources and it you know i'm glad that it's become like a less um taboo thing or whatever like it's people actually talk about it and support it now and like yeah. are all about it but you know i think there there needs to be more done for it in the greater scheme scheme of things. It's inaccessible the way it is right now. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the avenues are inaccessible. Yeah. So I, we really have to look at ways to support people within the in society. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's about, it's about like redistribution of, of funds basically. Yeah. To, to support actual society. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, are you ready for a game? I'm so ready for a game. Okay. I, since it is Pride Month, I did pick a gay topic. Uh, Love I it. Pride symbols and just gay symbols in general, just because, um. No. <laughs> yeah. What? I said, oh no. I'm no, going to fail. I mean, this one, honestly, is more about just getting these information out there if like okay okay I'm not, like yeah so fact number one the original pride flag had seven stripes instead of the six you see now fact number two the upside down pink triangle that was once used to represent the lgbt community was first used by the nazis and fact number three popularized by openly gay author oscar wilde gay victorian men would pin green carnations to their lapel to indicate homosexual affiliations well, I know number two is true because you've mentioned that yeah. before. So thank yeah. you for that freebie. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, I'm going to go with the lie. Oh, gosh, this is hard. I really want the Oscar Wilde thing to be true just because who doesn't love a good carnation on a lapel? Yeah. So I'm going to go with the stripes being. Yeah. Oh, okay. That is the lie. I'll just run down them all real quick. Yeah. So the the lie is true, or the first one is the lie. <laughs> I like the lie being true. The lie is true. <laughs> uh, just broke any AI that's listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
exploded. <laughs> yeah. So the original 1978 flag designed by Gilbert Baker had eight stripes, with each color representing something. The first stripe was hot pink, which represented sexuality, red, which represented life, orange, which was healing, yellow, sunlight, green, nature, turquoise, magic and art, indigo, serenity and harmony, and violet, spirit. Hot pink was the first color drop due to the fabric used for it not being available or widely available at the time. Oh, interesting. And then, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't look too far into that, but I was like, huh, okay. I would think um, that maybe actually, um, hot pink is probably a harder dye to access, so it's probably it was probably more the dye than the fabric. Yeah. So, like I said, the hot pink was the first one dropped, and then they combined turquoise and indigo into a royal blue. So that's how we got the six that we have now. Okay. Um, the number two was true. The upside pink triangle uh, was used by the Nazis during uh, the Holocaust to basically mark the gays. And then the three is true as well. Like Oscar Wilde, um, that was a thing in the Victorian days, like. There's always been like codes and stuff like mm-hmm. like the earrings, uh, the ban- the bandana code mm-hmm. uh, that was like popular in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, just some other fun facts I have. The transgender flag is comprised of five stripes, two blue, two pink and a white stripe. And it was created in 1999. Uh, the pink triangle did come back during the AIDS crisis. So basically like. After the World War II, up until, like, the late 70s, the pink triangle was kind of the de facto. Mm-hmm. Then, late 70s on, it was a rainbow flag. But in the during the AIDS crisis, they brought back the pink triangle uh, as part of the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power Act Up. Used it to represent, quote, the active fight back rather than a passive resignation to fate. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um... And then also, uh, for a period of time starting in 1984, Guinness World Records listed the largest flag as a rainbow flag uh, when Gilbert Baker, was com- the one who made the original flag, was commissioned to make a large one for the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. Aww. How, did yeah. it, how big was it? Is it? It didn't say, but he did say that he made a second flag later that stretched like a mile and a half, like in Key West, I think. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? No. I was, like, imagining, like, a parachute-sized one. Like, do you remember those parachutes from gym class or whatever? Oh, yeah, Like, I was yeah. like, oh, it's going to be, like, that size. I think it was a mile and a half. Ugh. I'll Holy. have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure I read mile and a half. Holy crazy. That is, yeah. wow, that is a large flag. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, symbols are always, like, interesting. I'm always, like, a afraid of, like, not knowing if something's a you know what I mean? Right. Like, using a symbol, you didn't realize it was a symbol that mean this one thing, and you were just like, oh, yeah. I just thought this thing was cool. Yeah, and I mean, I import- I understand the importance of having symbols and stuff like that. Like, visual representation of things is highly important, but yeah, um, it's also, like, impossible sometimes to know everything. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much wraps us, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much uh, for that wonderful two truths and a lie. Yeah, it's June. Got to keep it gay. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you can follow us on our social medias uh, at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook. And if you want to email us, it's DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And subscribe, rate, review, 
Yeah, it's... wherever you listen to podcasts, that they have a review system. Mm-hmm. It's nice Give to do. One. Yeah. And if you're bored, go to uh, Go Comedy on YouTube and look for some Westerns and yeah. watch them and then vote on your favorite one or the one yeah. that's about Mario and Luigi. I'm just saying. Just yeah. Kidding. Um, I've only seen like the first couple seconds when I clicked on the video and I'm already excited to watch it. Oh, good, it. good, 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 good. I'm going to throw my recommendation out there again. Oh, Circus yeah. of Books on Netflix. Great documentary. Also, Christopher and His Kind. If you've seen Cabaret, you love Cabaret, you have to see Christopher and His Kind. I think it was, I got, I was able to watch it for free on Amazon for starting a free trial of something, so. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my recommendation, I'm reading, and this was like... This has been featured on many lists lately, but I'm in the middle of it. But uh, I'm reading Between the World and Me. And oh, I, yeah, I forgot to write his name down. I should have written it down. Uh, but it uh, first of all, good writer. Tanisi Coates. Yes. Thank you. I was like, if I try to say it without reading it, I will say it r- probably. I, I probably said it wrong. I think I forgot an I in there, but it at least helped with Google search. Yes. It makes you think all the lists were right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fast reader. So that's my one. It depends for me. I sometimes can zip through things. And other times I'm like, I've been reading this book for 12 years. Yeah. I'm in the middle of like four books right now. Cause I pause. And that's what start you gotta do books. though. Like I was like, just like reading this thing about how to read better. Just like just being a better reader. And it's like, don't force yourself to read things. If like you're reading a book and you're not feeling it anymore, or like you want to read something else, it's okay to put a book down because otherwise mm-hmm. you're just going to see the dread. You just think dread like, Oh, I need to get through that book. I'm not really feeling it anymore, but so it kind of makes it more of a chore. So if like, if you're not feeling it, just put it down and pick something else up. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's actually really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. Cause you always can come back to it. Yeah. 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 But thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah. And until next time. Stay stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Sex and Violence.